Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, Chase Thomas podcast. Late on a Thursday evening, right before the the Atlanta Falcons uh, go take on the New England Patriots, a team that I've only had fond memories of facing in recent years. Stats by Will is here. Young Kim Palm himself. He was also here last week, but because. Uh, I'm a big dumb idiot uh, and was editing and cleaning up computer stuff at 7.30 in the morning. I just thought I'd uploaded all three of ours from uh, last Thursday's pod. And no, I forgot that I fell asleep the night before late doing the last one and just deleted that one to clear space and thought I had them all up. No, did not have them all up. Fell asleep. That's a... that it was one of the more embarrassing things I've ever done, and after 700 podcasts, you'd think uh, you would uh, be you you'd be past all of these. But I I've never been so embarrassed. Uh, Will I, I felt I felt horrible last week. Don't feel horrible. I mean, I said some pretty outlandish stuff that will never be made known to man. I had one of my hottest takes. It's really unfortunate these are all gone. Uh, I, I'm kidding, but no, I, it happens. What is your? You, you gotta remember. You gotta think about all the stuff I have accidentally deleted while writing Tennessee previews that I've had to rewrite. Oh yeah, that's. that's I not make fun. the same mistakes. It's not fun losing stuff that you spend a lot of time on. is is not great. Um, what is your hottest non basketball take? Ooh, like just about life yeah. in general. You get a I'll lot of flack for. You get a lot is, of pushback for. I'll give you one that is not a party favorite. Okay. Um, Justin Timberlake is often the worst part of Justin Timberlake's songs. Okay. Hmm. Because I think Timberland's production is consistently up to this. This last album sucked, but the, uh, every album before that, Timberland's production consistently amazing song to song. And like the, the guests he has in there pretty much always kill it. But there are songs where it's just like, what the hell is this guy doing? Like, I, I I find him... I know Sexy Back is a big hit. People mm-hmm. love that song. I think Justin Timberlake <laughs> is annoying as all get out on that song. Do not love it. Okay. So, I, it's a thing where I still would say that I like and even love the first three albums he did. Because, like I said, the most recent one, very bad. Mm. But those first three could have been better with a better singer. I hate to say it. Never perused a Justin Timberlake album. Can't say that that has ever been on my... On my radar um but i will say the taylor swift stuff and i i like taylor i'm a big uh, taylor swift listener but she put me in a bind uh with the new album well mm. she put me in a bind because jake gyllenhaal is my dude uh jake oh, yeah. gyllenhaal is maybe my favorite actor of all time it's like between him and uh the the canceled uh casey affleck and <laughs> colin farrell so it's a tough uh it's a tough group there and uh I mean, Prisoners I Ride For is maybe the best movie of all time. I mean, I love Nocturnal Animals, Nightcrawler. Like, he's in so many great things. And uh, she put me in a bind, throwing my man under the bus here. And just seeing Twitter all go off about Jake Gyllenhaal was uh, was tough for me in recent days. You got to either pick Jake or you got to pick the scarf, man. <laughs> I, I got to say, so I did listen to the Taylor's version mm-hmm. because I, I, I think Red is easily her best album. I like both Red and 1989 very, very much, but it's like no contest, really. Um, little underwhelmed by the 10 minute all too well version. Just mm. over long for me. 
They're I haven't watched it. I refuse. 10 minute songs like the runway stuff with Kanye where I'm just like, no, you don't get 10 minutes of my time. Not doing this. <laughs> you don't get this from me because uh, the sports renaissance woman tried to get me to do it. And I was like, no, I'm not sitting there for 10 minutes for this. She's out of her mind. This is not happening. No, won't do it. Refuse. Yeah, the, uh, not not the best thing she's ever done by any means, but it was nice to hear. Um, it's interesting to hear her voice at 30 versus, or I guess, well, older than 30 now versus when she was 22 doing those songs. Hmm. You can tell like some of the vocal notes she gets are a little different this time out. But I mean, it's like obviously musical. But yeah, I mean, 10 minutes, it is a, it's a tall ask. I mean, even Kanye, like he had a 10 minute song on his most recent album and it's like five to six minutes in, I'm hitting the skip button. Yeah, I can't do it. You just, uh, I can't do it. But you know what's funny? It reminds me of the meme of like the person who complains that they don't watch any movies because they're too long, but then will sit and watch seven episodes of one show in one sitting. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It's like if you're going to listen to an album, like it's going to go over 10 minutes, but if they're different songs for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like you're, it's almost like the Pomodoro technique, which I utilize all day long. So when people, folks, if you're curious about how I do all the stuff that I'm doing, um, the Pomodoro technique goes a long way. The 25 minute intervals where you get stuff in, you just are like, I'm doing this for 25 minutes, get up, take a break, walk around, stretch your legs, get back in there, do another 25 minutes. Um, works for homework, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I, I just, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. Um, is it a take that Evermore is my favorite Taylor album? That is a hot take. Love Evermore. I have not heard anybody say that. I love Evermore. I, I probably, if I pulled up my last FM, I would say that that's probably the most played album I have of hers. Shout out to last FM. Shout out to when they <laughs> used to drop the charts on Sundays. I love that would, last you FM. Really pumped about it. Last FM was like how I found all of my music over a decade ago. It's been it's still instrumental for me in some aspects. Like I found some older artists that would have slipped through the cracks via last fm mm. but it, it is it is funny to look back because like i'll pull up my page now i don't know what your scrabble count is but mine is almost like 140,000, which is like somehow sad in a way where it's like oh i've almost been on this site for 15 years can i come can can i uh bring something to the forefront that i i'm okay bringing to the forefront at 30 years old now yes when I was in college, I was embarrassed about certain songs and musicians that were higher up on my charts than others. So I would leave my laptop on and play certain certain artists to get those play counts up. So it's distorted. <laughs> See, I, I used to turn off or turn. I think it used to be private scrabbling. I don't remember what it's mm. called, but I would do that for songs where I was just like, well, I want to try this out. Okay. There you go. Last FM, so many folks are like, I have no idea what they've been talking about for the last four and a half minutes. But other yeah, people, sorry you know if you're like 25 or younger, I think that's probably slips past you. Goodness, man, they didn't do the that the the younger crowd, like no LimeWire, no any of that. They didn't have to like struggle and uh, just really have to search for good music and figure out what uh, what the cool folks are are into. Um, speaking of cool folks and what they're into, uh, Tennessee Twitter has enjoyed uh, this week, Tennessee basketball Twitter in particular, uh, Mizzou and Vanderbilt, both brutal losses um, in the past few days for very different reasons. Um, it looked like a football score with Vanderbilt this week. But um, yeah, what do you make of Kwanzo going down uh, to a very, who was it now? I already forgot who they lost to. 
It was UMKC. Yes. So the I here's the thing for me with Missouri, and mm. this might require a minute. Is anybody surprised? <laughs> Is anybody shocked that Conso Martin would blow a game to like a bad in-state opponent in November or December? Because this happened like every year at Tennessee, and it happened at Cal too. I mean, it, it's. I, I've tried. I mean, ten, I think Tennessee fans have very complicated feelings on Conso and myself. Like, I don't, you know, openly despise the guy. I think, you know, he did some good here. Um, but I think we need to be honest about it. Missouri has been garbage since the second they reached number ten last season. You know, they completely collapsed on the stretch, lost in the first round of the NCAA tournament. After it looked for a little bit there, like they might be a three or a four seed. You know, you enter the season with the 13th best SEC roster. Georgia's still worse, by the way. And, and I guess <laughs> in some aspect, it's a little surprising they lost by 14 at home to UMKC of all schools. I mean, that's openly bad. <laughs> uh, it, it is funny. I thought it was really funny. There's, I, I don't know if people would know who this is, but some guy named Carrington Harrison on Twitter was saying UMKC plays their home games in a like a rec league gym and you can reserve it for pickup games, which is incredible. Absolutely incredible. But back on the subject, mm-hmm. that Missouri team is just a bad roster with bad vibes. And I mean, if you, I understand like their non-conference games, you're not going to be able to get up for. Okay, like, you know, Tennessee played Tennessee Martin. They played with their food for 15 minutes, but they stepped on the gas. Missouri seems to lack the step on the gas factor. And it, that is what makes me think, you know, Missouri is a program and, you know, sadly for him, Conzo is a coach. It's going nowhere fast. Um, you know, this is year five. And when you're in year five and you have zero NCAA tournament wins, you haven't finished higher than 40th in Ken Palm and you haven't gotten higher than an eight seed in the tournament. When it's year five and you're asking people to sit through a full scale rebuild, you have deep seated problems that probably are not going to get fixed. Hmm. Are you just as low on Stackhouse at this point in what Vanderbilt did this I, week? I've, I've been trying because I can't do Photoshop. Uh, <laughs> that, that sounds like such an old person. I can't do the Photoshop. <laughs> but I want to edit the Packwatch uh, Shannon Sharp gif to say Stackwatch <laughs> because that's how I'm feeling about Vandy right now. I'm on Stackwatch. Mm. Um, the, the awful 37-point showing is honestly more excusable to me than losing to UMKC mm-hmm. because for two reasons. So you're playing VCU, who has been very good defensively basically since Mike Rhodes got there and changed mm-hmm. everything Bill Wade was doing. And it is going to be really hard for them to replicate going two for 25 from three again. Like that's just a, you know, once every two or three years you have a shooting night that bad and you're like, okay, that's not going to happen again. It is what it is. But... That's and me at the really West Hills YMCA a year ago when I was uh, a, night, a night out and then back at the Y. I went two for 25, something like that, <laughs> yeah, going from three. Yeah. But, I mean, can you blame Vandy fans for constantly wondering what's next? Because I think mm. every time, so at least really since Stallings left, every time this program seems to have a hint of positivity going its way, whether it's, you know, that year where they got hot late and slipped into the NCAA tournament, whether it's them leading the number one Tennessee team late in that game, anything it's been, every time they've got a little bit going their way, something crashes and it all falls apart. And I felt really positive towards this Vandy roster entering the season. You know, I said they were 10th best in the SEC. They're out of sicko territory. They're no <laughs> longer going to be, you know, the doormat doors. 
but has a nice ring to it though that's like a really freaking bad loss i mean 37 because 37 is bad in its own but it's honestly worse to me that you would hold vcu to 48 and that vcu scored four points in the final eight minutes of the game you i mean all you would have to do is be bad offensively and you could have won you just merely had to be bad. You didn't. All you could do is not be all-time horrific, and they couldn't manage it. Mm. I mean, I, I think you know. I, I don't think Scottie Pippen's only going to score eight in a game again this year. But you know, you look at your, their schedule, and they've got some really intriguing tests the rest of the way in non-con play. Like they play Winthrop at home Saturday, they play SMU in early December, and the real. Uh, kicker for me is they draw Loyola at home uh, in mid-December. I mean, they're not going to be favored at SMU, and I kind of don't think they're going to be favored at home against Loyola. And when you're in that position in year three under an SEC coach, I think you're in a bad spot. Yeah, I just the Vanderbilt thing is like I don't think they can do better than Jerry Stackhouse anytime soon. I think he yeah. Just... And the the thing is like if you if you were to ask SEC coaches uh, like assistants or whatever what they think of Stackhouse, I think most of them would say they like what he does offensively because Vandy generally has had really good shot selection under Stackhouse. They've run some interesting sets. They've done a lot of good things. They've gotten guys open. But, you know, when it's year three and you've failed to, A, make a real impact in the transfer portal in this regard, and B, find a guy other than Scottie Pippen that can really do anything for you offensively, uh, I mean, is it going to get better? Hmm. I mean, I think it's still too early. I'm not closing the book on Vanderbilt just yet. I, I think yeah, I, I'm closing I, the book on Quanzo and Mizzou. Think they're going to be the 10th best in the SEC. But, I mean, when you're 10th best and your best player is heading to the NBA after this season, it's it's tough. For sure. For sure. Um, I just feel like uh, there's still room to grow where it's like Quanzo. I feel like they've already peaked and we're, we're on the downward turn there in, uh, oh, yeah. in Columbia. And I'm curious, man. They have a new AD over there. Um, they're not attached to Quanzo. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz, uh, pretty rocky at that point. Uh, Mizzou in some, in some troubling waters because guess what? I mean, they escaped the Big 12 um, to get away from Texas and uh, Oklahoma. Guess who's on the way? Texas and Oklahoma. So I think it's only going to get more difficult for programs like Vanderbilt and uh, Mizzou in the coming years. So that's also something to consider. Um, your guy, though, Kim English. You're a big English guy. Mm-hmm. As a graduate of the University of Tennessee with an English degree, I am inherently a big English guy. Mm. But Ken specifically... <laughs> did you minor um, in anything? I'm sorry? Did you minor in anything or did you just go straight English? Journalism. You, wait, you minored in journalism? Yes. I didn't know you could do that. Yeah. So I, I, I can't... I don't know if you still can. At the time I graduated in 2015, it was uh-huh. possible. Hmm. So I, I that could have changed though for sure. This is why so, we do the pod, Will, because like <laughs> I was gonna do like English as my minor and uh, journal, and then you know what it was is like I was at that point. I remember at North Georgia where I was at the the point where I met my advisor, and I was like, it's kind of weird that I don't have a minor, and I, I didn't like the sound of not having a minor where it just it felt weird. I was like, I should have something. Let's see and do the credit stuff, and they were like, well, and I was like, I think I want to do English as a minor. I've taken a couple, and they're like, well, you'll it's gonna do this, 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 and you're gonna ha- it's gonna be this, and I was like, wait, I'm looking at a, another year just to add a minor. No, that's out. Uh, I'm gonna go ahead and go no minor and uh, graduate. Uh, when I want to graduate, um, Latin was also in play. 
And let me tell you, use that all the time. Uh, my four years of Latin in high school, my two in college. Uh, that <laughs> always comes in handy. Always comes in handy. But as you were saying. Yeah, so uh, the Kim English thing is really cool because, you know, he's very young, I think 33 years old. Um, uh, I don't know if there are five coaches in America that are under 40 that have a brighter future or are just currently better straight up. I mean, they were amazing in their first three games against mid-majors because I was curious to kind of follow along with that and see, you know, how quickly that turnaround could happen. Because when I did some research on them over the summer, it seemed like a quicker than expected turnaround could be possible in the sense of like, oh, they could get back to being like a top six Atlantic 10 program pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Um and I figured with Maryland, you know, you're going to keep it within like five to ten points probably. But to win outright on the road against a top 25 opponent, that's their first top 25 win since 2007, by the way. Oh, wow. Very much ahead of schedule. Very much so. Um, I remain interested to see a couple of things with them. One is can their three-point shooting hold up for four more months? Because right now, if I recall correctly, they're hitting 43% of their threes, and they hit half of them against Maryland. And, you know, when you watch the game, it it makes some sense. Like, they get really good looks out of essentially an Alabama light offense. Um, But 43% for a whole season is really hard to keep up. And along with that, how tight can they stay defensively? Because Maryland really did not get off many good looks last night, whether it was from three. I know they took 28, but I only counted about six or seven that were truly open. And they they barely got anything at the rim after the first half. if, if they're able to keep those two things up <clears throat> in some regard, uh, even if, with a little bit of regression, that's a tournament team, man. I mean, if they're keeping this up, that's a top 50 team in America. And that's crazy to consider, given where George Mason has been at basically since Laranaga left. Uh, I mean, if they hold up, that's a tournament team, and that's probably a multiple bid Atlantic 10 between them, St. Bonnie's, and possibly Richmond. Oh, wow. Yeah. We'll see. We shall see. Um, two weeks in, what are your strongest takeaways from the first two weeks of the college basketball season? Uh, I'm just going to give a stock up and stock down report. Cause okay, here you go. That's a good, a yeah. good one to go with. So mm-hmm. stock up, obviously George Mason. We just talked mm-hmm. about them. I think that I don't think anybody's stock has risen more than George Mason's. Um, BYU would be my number two. Um, I, they demolished Oregon, and I will have to pat myself on the back for saying preseason I was lower in Oregon than seemingly everybody else because I thought they were more top 30 than top 15. Mm. But even if that's the case, even if I do end up right there, demolishing a top 30 team by 32 points is amazing. That's a huge, huge boon for them. And, you know, I, I kind of wonder... I know they they had a bad first-round loss last year to UCLA, but one, uh, don't remember or, you know, don't know if you remember or not, but UCLA made the final four. And two, BYU returned quite a bit of talent from a team that was a six seed. Uh, Mark Pope clearly gets it, clearly very good at what he does. Uh, they're going to be in their standard like five to seven seed range come March, if I had to guess, which is, I mean, for BYU, that's very good. Um, two others, Arizona and Florida. I think Arizona is going to require some explanation because I know they've played no one so far. And I know that North Dakota State's not even a Summit League fave, but they have absolutely demolished their three opponents so far. Uh, and I know 
early season sample sizes are strange. You know, when you play bad teams and you beat them by a lot, how much do you really get from it? No one really knows. But to me, when you're beating teams by 50, regardless of quality, that's a good sign. Uh, everything I've seen from them so far is really positive. They play Gonzaga fast offensively. They're moving the ball as well as anyone right now. Uh, I can't wait to see them play Wichita, I believe, tomorrow, Friday the 19th. Mm. Um, that's a team I'm really interested in. And as a Tennessee supporter, not really looking forward to them coming to town in December. Yeah. Uh, well, let's get through Villanova first. Yeah, we'll get through Villanova first. So with the, the last of these, Florida... This sickens me, of course, but I mean, I watched the Florida State game and there are two huge things that I noticed. One is that this is the most fun a Mike White team has looked in quite a while. Uh, two, their shot selection has taken a complete 180. Uh, last year, I believe they got 32% of their shots from mid-range and through three games. Or as we do this podcast, they're in the middle of a fourth right now, I think. But through those games, they had only taken, I believe, 6% of their shots from the mid-range. They have gone hmm. full oats, like full ball and oats with their offense. It's five-out <laughs> motion now. I hate this. I hate that he's just taken over all the puns and everything. I, Alabama did not need all of this. I don't like it. No. But Flor- Florida looks legit. And I think my, my off-season concern with them was, you know, okay, they're going to be good defensively. But can Mike White ever figure out the offensive side of things there? And early returns look positive. Um, I don't know if early returns look positive means you're like an SEC title contender or it's merely like, okay, Florida's top 25. But I I think they're better than expected. Mm. Three teams I am down on. I don't think any of these are really going to come as surprises. Maryland, who we discussed earlier. I mean, Maryland, I mean, the loss to George Mason is one thing, but when you're trailing George Washington and Vermont at halftime and struggling with those two teams for 35 minutes apiece, Something's not right there. Uh, to be fair, it's hard to mount a comeback against the, the Vermont counterments. That's true. People forget. Uh, I, I, something doesn't appear to be right there. And, you know, I think they're, they're a reasonable preseason top 25 pick, but it, it has not come together yet. Maybe it will later in the year, but right now something doesn't look right. Virginia just looks lost uh, up and down. I mean, it, it would be one thing if, as in preseason, we were thinking, okay, Virginia sucks offensively again, but the defense is on point. The defense is not on point. Um, I wonder if Tony Bennett regrets not really probing the transfer portal because they did not make the moves a lot of other ACC schools made. And I know that coaches want four-year guys, of course, but if you're exclusively reliant on four-year guys and program building, you kind of have to accept that a year or two of that is going to suck. And this kind of looks like that year for Virginia. I mean, the the Navy loss to me is one thing. It's like, okay, they didn't shoot super well. You know, you can sort of somewhat excuse that, excuse that a little bit. And but it's just a good them, example of supporting the troops. Yeah, they, they were – it was Veterans Week. Mm-hmm. Um, but to get blown off the court like they did against Houston, and honestly, the 20-point deficit could have been 30, uh, That was that's a really bad sign. Um. And then uh, Louisville. I think Louisville is a real disappointment. Mm. Um, I, I thought that if... Didn't have the best offseason. Yeah, they were, <laughs> they were a little rocky in the offseason. But <gasps> roster-wise, I thought that if things worked out all right, they could be one of the 25 or so best teams. 
uh, right now, I would not say they're even one of the 50 best. Um, you know, the the loss at home to Furman in overtime, that's that is one bad thing. But they started the season by struggling for almost 40 minutes with Southern, and Southern is in the 300s at Ken Palm. I mean, it really hasn't gotten better since. I personally cannot believe Chris Mack's tenure has unfolded in this manner, to be honest. I thought that was a grand slam hire for them, and it has not been that way. Same thing for football. Satterfield, everyone was just yeah. super high on him uh, coming out of App State, and it's just not uh, not gone the way folks had expected. But I think it's still time for Louisville to, uh, to figure some stuff out. I think of that group, I think I'm least worried about Louisville. I think they can, hmm. they can bounce back a little bit. Um... Early Tennessee thoughts. So we talked about it a little bit at nauseam, but going into the Villanova game on Saturday, uh, it's going to be a lot of threes, a lot of shooting on Saturday. And I'm just glad that this game was not going to come at the same time as Tennessee, South Alabama. Um, cause I did not realize they had moved that to a seven, a seven o'clock kick, which is preposterous a night game at in Neyland for, for South Alabama. What a, what a move. Um, on ESPNU, but I'm glad that this will be uninterrupted during the day on Saturday so I can just enjoy Villanova UT. I'm going to copy the Josie Mourinho bit, Bryce, mm. if I speak on uh, TV times uh, and how blatantly uh, money-based it all is, Twitter will suspend me. Uh, so I will withhold. Uh, but other than saying... It is insanely stupid to have a night game in November where it looks like the high is going to be like 49 or something. So yeah, it's, it's already, too cold. I'm not going to this. Suck. There's no way I'm going to this game. No. That's a that's at best a watch at home. Um, but At best, anyway, yeah. First half at, what, at watch at home situation. Yeah. Back to Tennessee hoops. Um, they look like one of the 15 best teams in America. Um I can't really say that them being 17th in the AP is underrated necessarily simply because they haven't played a good team, but that's going to take care of itself this weekend. I think this is sort of, uh, you know, you, you don't want to make big grand statements four games into the season, but this is kind of a good way to figure out where you're at. Uh, when you're going away from home, when you're going to a casino in the middle of Connecticut for reasons best known to somebody, to play in what is somehow the best early season tournament that exists this year in college basketball, uh, you're going to learn a lot. Um, I find the Villanova matchup really interesting, more than I did a month ago. Uh, Originally, when this game was announced, I thought Villanova's offense was going to be really, really hard for Tennessee to keep up with. And that may still be the case because Villanova looks fantastic offensively. But having watched all three Villanova games... uh, their complete lack of resistance with regards to interior defense right now is very uh, not good. It's one thing when UCLA is having an easy time uh, inside the perimeter against you for the most part. It's another when like Howard University is getting buckets at the rim with ease. Howard was forcing Villanova's guards to overcommit to drives uh, for basically 30 uninterrupted minutes. And they, they were having a lot of trouble defending that. If they're having trouble defending that, Kennedy Chandler is going to be a real shock to the system. <laughs> mm. I mean, there's no rim protector on the Villanova roster. They have two blocks, two, as a team through three games. Two blocks, and both were in the first game, meaning they got none against UCLA and they got none against Howard. But Villanova's offense is so freaking good. So I, I'm 
I'm really excited for this game because I think it's the best of the weekend and of this week. And I think it's a real telling sign, uh, depending on what happens for both teams. Because Villanova has, is going to have to figure out between now and March, what do you do when you can't protect the rim? How well can you force opponents to still shoot over the top of you? And then for Tennessee, how well do you hold up when you're going to play a top five team and you're saying, hey, true freshman Kennedy Chandler, we're going to run our offense through you? Uh, we're going to learn a lot this weekend. And I think that game is a total toss up, to be honest. But, you know, for the Tennessee specific view here, they should leave this weekend with one win, uh, if not two. I think either so either you beat Villanova and likely draw Purdue, who is honestly better than Villanova. Or if you lose to Villanova, which I think is that's a rational guess, uh, you likely draw UNC, who has looked, um, I would politely say, abject defensively so far. Uh, it was not a good sign to me when UNC was going to Charleston and just getting roasted, uh, like possessions upon possessions at a time. <laughs> when you're giving up 87 to Brown and 83 to Charleston, not good. No. It's not good. It's not good. How do you think it goes on Saturday with Villanova, Tennessee? I, this is tough. I mean, I would honestly call it a pure coin flip. I mean, if you go to Ken Palm right now, Villanova is seen as better than Tennessee by literally 0.04 points. Mm. It is as as a game possibly can be at this level. So I would not be surprised by anything. The two predictions I feel pretty comfortable in making are that these two teams are going to combine for 50 or more threes, or three-point attempts, not made threes. And I think wire to wire, it's going to be within single digits both ways. Uh, I would be pretty surprised if either team builds a big lead. This seems like one where it's going to be tense and nerve-wracking and really has you pour in sweat from start to finish. Hmm that's gonna be fun i'm excited for it i'm excited for it because as fun as it is to blow up bad teams uh i'm excited to actually uh see tennessee play uh somebody good uh so your other team because you are a not a benedict arnold but you're you're a two-team guy (laughs) (laughs) you you are a two-team guy will Um, i support my family's rooting interests I don't call you Wolverine Will for nothing. And it's not because of the beard. It's not because of the fingernail length. It's because of your propensity to, to rock some maze. Um, so, Juwan Howard gets a gets an extension uh, in Ann Arbor. What do, you, what do you make of it? Was this always inevitable? Was it in response to the, the reported extension for Mel Tucker? Who, who's, people are saying. People are saying. Um, what do you make of the extension there? You happy with uh, it? You good with Howard? Oh, love Howard. I think it's an inevitable uh, thing to do because, I mean, like it or not, eventually NBA teams are going to come calling for Juwan. Uh, and there is a certain point where it's, you know, obviously you lost Beeline to the NBA a couple years ago, but I think the situation is going? quite a bit different. Where, you know, Howard is younger, Howard is going to be a hotter target. I mean, think of it this way. When Spolstra retires or leaves the heat eventually – wouldn't you think Juwan is probably going to be pretty high on that list for the first call? I don't so think Spolstra is leaving anytime soon. I mean, probably not, but you know somebody is going to call him at some point. And to get out ahead of this is good, uh, even though uh, through no control of Juwan or the university zone, they announced it at the worst possible time, right before a home loss to Seton Hall. But um, 
Yeah, it's a good extension. I mean, that would be quite funny if they were just like, you know, Mel Tucker has stolen the headlines. He gets his headlines for 90 minutes, and it's Juwan's turn. That that would be so perfectly petty for U of M that I really would not doubt it if it were true. Mm. Uh, Loyola Chicago moves to the Atlantic 10. What do you make of this move for them? <sighs> it's good and bad. Okay. Um, so for me personally, I don't know if you feel the same way, but I feel like some people do. I've always loved um, the MVC tournament because that MVC tournament, it being like the first big conference championship game every year, that first Sunday always feels so good because you turn it on. It's like noon tip CBS. You get to see two teams that you've seen a combined like 90 minutes of during the season the fans are crazy into it. It's always a close game. Love Arch Madness so much. And to see that seemingly withering away is a huge bummer. Uh, but with the bad comes the good. The Atlantic 10 is already one of the best mid-major conferences. And by adding Loyola, especially with Drew Valentine on board, and I think in the same way we talked about Kim English earlier, I view Drew Valentine similarly. I think he is a really bright young coach that uh, his his star is going to rise real fast. And, I mean, if it works out the way that many think it will, it's going to be hard for them to keep him more than three years. Uh, kind of the same for Kim at George Mason. But uh, Loyola seems set up quite well, don't they? Uh, you get to go to a conference where you're facing more consistent, stiffer competition because, you know, in the NBC – the, the bottom half of that conference has just not been good the last few years. Uh, you know, after Creighton and Wichita both departed, that conference kind of took a hit from a depth perspective. The A-10 is deeper. It's better. The top end where, you're, you know, the Bonnies are really good this year. But, you know, you're consistently getting like Dayton, Richmond, St. Louis. Now George Mason is back. Uh, all of those teams up at the top, that's going to be, you know, much more difficult competition for them each year and i think this is going to be a net positive move for them i'm sure it's a positive move for them from a money perspective hmm well i don't think this is going to be the last team that does this um i I need them so here's here's a pro tip for conferences okay the big 10 completely understandable because the logo looks cool (laughs) even though i really miss when it used to secretly say 11 in the big 10 logo Uh uh-huh SEC, perfectly fine because there's no number in the conference. Big Ten, Big 12, okay, fix it. But the Atlantic 10 having 15 friggin' teams and staying <laughs> the Atlantic 10 is a real problem. This, at some point, I understand you can't change your conference name every two years. That's not a video game. But you have got to either just be like, okay, we're the Atlantic Conference or... You already or have the Atlantic, Atlantic Coast, though. You, you've got to change this up. Uh, Atlantic 10 is not going to cut it anymore. <laughs> you, or you can't say Atlantic 10 plus 5. It doesn't really roll off the tongue. The Atlantic 10 plus 5. Um, no, I agree. It just I, I guess I'm just numb to it now of all yeah, the I conferences. Mean, conference realignment has had so many moves and shifts, like even since you know Nebraska and Colorado kicked it off all those years ago. That at this point, when I see these announcements, it's just like, all right, well, that's this week's. Well, we'll see who moves to conferences next week. Mm. Well, there you go. There you go. We can wrap up. Uh, did you read Borzello's piece on uh, early early takeaways from him? 
had it pulled up this morning. Um, there's a couple in there that are quite interesting because, okay. you know, Travion Williams at Purdue uh, coming off the bench to start the season, I think was unforeseen. Uh, but it makes them scarier, I would say. So, like, somehow. So now, if people haven't followed Purdue, Zach Eady has been starting at center. And Zach Eady is seven foot four, sort of like a better Matt Harms. So what you're so think of think of it this way. You're a team, your center's like six ten or whatever, you're starting off defending Zach Eady. Four minutes into the game, Trevion Williams, who is like six ten, two eighty, and built like a bulldozer, comes off the bench. What do you do? When you have to defend two guys that tall, that extremely talented, and that remarkably different with such unique skill sets, what what are you supposed to do? I don't know. I mean, that's it's going to be really tough. I think, you know, before the season, I would have said Michigan was by a hair the Big Ten favorite, but I think it's Purdue. I mean, when I see the matchup problems they're presenting teams, and I think they're going to win this little multi-team event in Connecticut this weekend with UNC, Purdue, with UNC Villanova and Tennessee. Um, that I mean, that feels like a team that's going to be a one seed come March. They're just loaded with talent um yeah i don't know uh, other than that for the uh borzello uh observations i think there's some uh, more intriguing ones but you know, we, you know we covered that north carolina might have a really bad defense <laughs> um i i think another one that has already been proven wrong in my eyes is the atlantic 10 being a one-bit league mm. uh it, it, i mean george mason just pulled off if not the very biggest win of the non-conference season so far, because I think that goes to Seton Hall at minimum, the second biggest win anybody's had yet that that's huge, 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 huge for that conference. Cause that's going to, not only does that help George Mason, that helps every Atlantic 10 team when you beat a top 20 opponent that, I mean, that raises the conference profile that makes everybody look better. That makes everybody pay more attention. So uh, I think that if I had to guess right now, I really do think they're going to end, end up getting two plus bids. Okay. I like it. I like it. Will, what can uh, the good folks check out from you at statsbywill.com this week? You can expect a Villanova, Tennessee preview tomorrow, November 19th. Mm-hmm. Uh, the game is Saturday, but I hate working on Saturdays. So I put out the Saturday previews on Friday. Uh, depending on who Tennessee plays Sunday, uh, Purdue or UNC, you will see that preview Sunday morning. Weekly recaps after every two games. Other stuff at Stats by Will on Twitter, like graphs, charts, interesting data trends, small sample size fun. Try and have a good time with it, you know? I mean, your stuff is just top-notch. Top-notch work. Um, And people are going to love it even more now that I've figured out how to correctly format some of this stuff in Excel. (laughs) I spent 10 years of my life just doing the text. Mm-hmm. figured out how to do some formatting stuff today this really does make me sound old uh i figured out how to do like basic graphic formatting stuff in there literally today uh this morning and boy is it gonna change the previews <laughs> all right that'll i mean that's a good thing though that's a that's a positive it's a step in the right direction i like it but your previews were already great man um so keep up the great work uh balls fans are lucky to have you covering Ball hoops for them this year so go check out will's stuff if you've not already done so and follow along this season as the balls march towards 
a guaranteed um, so national championship with uh, the one and done ace Kennedy Chandler on Saturday on against Patreon. Villanova. Will, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you Thomas very soon. Yes, thanks uh, for having me on. Five dollars a month. It helps the show keep the lights on, so that would be a great help to me as well. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at chase underscore Thomas. You could go to chasethomaspodcast.com, which has all of my stuff, all my episodes ever, um, links to everything that you need, um, and all of my writing that uh, I'm doing fairly often these days um, on the NFL, on NBA, on college football, on pro wrestling. I write about everything. I write a lot. Um, so go read me on that front. So if you're not tired of listening to me, you can also read me. Um, so that's awesome. But uh, I think that's enough self-promotion from me for one episode. Uh, I hope you continue listening. That would be great. And uh, I will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks, guys. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.